to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today we are going to take on one of the topics from the forum this month that kind of went on for a while, and it was about whether or not to engage a buyer's broker when you're searching for your boat. So I've asked Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes and Associates to join me today. And I wanted to tackle this topic because I thought it was an interesting topic on the forum. And there was lots of great information shared, but also I believe some misinformation shared. So I asked Curtis to kind of come on and and kind of put him in a bad position by asking him to do this, Um, but wanted him to set the record straight on some of the things that maybe weren't quite accurate on that. So before we jump into that, I wanna take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral level sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Beneteau, Curtis Stokes and Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we encourage our listeners to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. Curtis Stokes, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure. Thank you, Kim. Yeah, and I appreciate you being here. Um, as I mentioned in the intro there, there was a, a thread in the forum that discussed whether or not to engage a buyer's broker. And of course, you are a buyer's broker, so I'm sure you have a particular opinion on that. But I wanted to bring you on because there was lots of information shared, um, some of it probably very useful, some of it not as useful. So just to kind of look at it from some of the fact-based information on what a buyer's broker does, I thought it would be a good conversation to have. So But to start off, for those who perhaps don't know you, share a little bit about you and what Curtis Stokes & Associates does. Sure. Well, we are a yacht brokerage firm. We're not a dealer for any manufacturer, uh, so we don't sell new boats, just brokerage boats. We uh, specialize in in marketing and selling great loop-capable boats. Uh, We've been very involved with the AGLCA for quite a few years. And we have organized ourselves uh, around the Great Loop by having nine offices around the country and about 45 brokers. Uh, Most of those specialize in the Great Loop and are somewhere located near the Great Loop or on the Great Loop to uh, help clients who are either doing the loop, thinking about doing the loop, uh, or have already done the loop and, uh, you know, cross their wake and are looking to sell. So a big part of our uh, being is the Great Loop. And we certainly appreciate your support. That has been for a long time. But one of the reasons I asked you to join us is because you do present frequently at our events on purchasing a Great Loop boat, and you have always been very objective. So when we're talking about some of these things that maybe there was a little bit of a disagreement on the forum, I thought having your objective viewpoint would be helpful. So. Let's start with the basics. Um, What does a buyer's broker do for their clients? Well, it's my opinion that a buyer broker is more of a consultant than a salesperson who's hired by a a buyer to guide them through the boat buying process. Same as in real estate. It's almost identical uh, in concept and in um, how they operate. I see buyer brokers as, again, consultants who do more research for buyers and try to find the right boat for a buyer rather than 
what boat they might have listed as the listing broker when a buyer comes directly to a listing broker. So uh, they're out previewing boats, they're uh, giving advice to buyers on uh, the contract process, uh, the financing process, the surveying process, the insurance process, the documentation process. So it's important that a buyer broker know all of this and be willing to travel and research uh, as many of the boats as possible for their client. So in the, the big field of boats that are sometimes available out there, how does a buyer's broker um, advise their client on which direction to go, what types of boats are suitable for them? Um, because you mentioned previewing the boats, and if there's a whole lot on the list, of course, that can become a little bit, a little bit daunting. So how does the, the search process typically work? Well, I think the most important thing is a good buyer broker is someone who can listen. Uh, you get it's easy for any broker who has boating experience or even a boater uh, a existing or previous boater to have a strong opinions on what works and doesn't work from their personal experience but what we're here to do is to listen to the buyer and it's what he or she wants to do or they want to do uh, in their dream of completing the great loop so you know if if we can't sit there and argue with them that what you're talking about doing, you know, buying a pontoon boat and doing the Great Loop is not possible. Uh, that opinion, you know, is on the forum, but when we're advising someone, it's what they want to do. We give them our opinion or our input uh, and our advice, but in the end, it's up to the buyer to make their decision uh, based on what they really want to do. They're the ones that are buying uh, the boat. So it's, a buyer broker's got to know the product out there, be able to find it, be able to research it, be willing to travel to do so, and be there to support the buyer with their advice, but not push the buyer into making a decision that's right for the broker and not for the buyer. Mm -hmm. So, and, and this was kind of one of the topics that came up in the thread, how is the broker paid? Uh, a number of ways are possible. So uh, typically, and I say typically, the seller pays a commission uh, to one or both brokers. And uh, then another way is if it's a for sale by owner, the owner might pay the broker, uh, just the one broker involved representing the buyer, or the buyer might pay the broker uh, the commission, uh, whatever they negotiate. And then uh, there are some brokers, unfortunately, in the business now who don't cooperate with other brokers. Uh, they take either discounted commissions and there's no commission for another broker, or they just don't want to deal with other brokers. They want to keep everything in-house and collect the full commission. Uh, and so the buyer then would have to consider paying the buyer broker their commission. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned previewing the boats, which is something that a buyer broker should do. Um, is that an added cost to the buyer when that um, when that broker goes out and travels to see those boats? It should not be. Uh, I have heard of brokers charging uh, fees for traveling. I disagree with that. We're paid a commission when we get uh, you know a sale uh, completed. But uh, it's up to the buyer. It's up to the seller. You know, this whole uh, thing is, it's freedom of choice. 
if you don't want to use a broker or you don't want to pay a broker or you want to pay a broker for travel, that is totally up to you. So you make the choice as a buyer and, and certainly as a seller. Uh, this is just a service that is it's been provided in real estate for years, and it's a fairly new concept in yacht brokerage, uh, and we've just formalized it a lot more than a lot of other brokers uh, because we see the benefit in it. Uh, so uh, it, the compensation, you know, is, is totally up to the buyer, and but I disagree with charging for travel, and that is important for the buyer broker to do that, uh, mainly to save the buyer time and money. Uh, I hear over and over and over again uh, buyers who come to me and say, we are just sick and tired of traveling around the country looking at boats that we were told by the seller or the listing broker were in beautiful condition, and we get there and they're absolute junk, and the photos were taken 10 years ago, and on and on and on. So that's a big part of the buyer brokerage is to either know the inventory or get to know it through traveling ahead of time and then being in a position to advise uh, the buyer, your client. And I did that as an example just recently. Uh, I went to uh, Tavernier in the Keys, Florida Keys, and I previewed a boat that looked really nice uh, online. When I got there and got in the engine room, I'm now convinced the boat was a salvage boat, either fire or uh, severe exhaust leak. Uh, there was soot everywhere in the engine room. It was just a mess. And I found sand in uh, part of the bilge uh, in the lazarette, which indicated to me that the boat possibly sunk somewhere at some point. And none of that was disclosed to me or the buyer. So I walked off the boat, called my buyer, and just said, don't even waste your time coming down here to see this boat. So I saved them time and money by being, you know, the buyer broker traveling ahead of time. Mm -hmm. That, to me, is, is a major part of the buyer brokerage process. Right. One of the, the questions that came up in the thread that we're discussing was how – and let me let me back up for just a second. You know, you mentioned some of the different ways that the buyer's broker is paid. Would you agree that kind of the most common way is for that to come um, from a commission that's paid by the seller? Yes, and it's my opinion uh, that there's a misconception on dual agency law, and I'm not a lawyer, but uh, this opinion comes from advice from maritime attorneys and not just one, numerous maritime attorneys, that the one party can pay one or two or more brokers, and that doesn't create a fiduciary response, uh, uh, relationship. Uh, that if you look at real estate, it is a regular practice for the seller to pay commissions, and a buyer broker represents the buyer, and a listing broker represents the seller, even though they're both collecting the commission from the seller. It's in the transparency of the contract, and as you know in my seminars, I advise everybody to read the contract and understand it. If you don't ask questions or hire a, a maritime attorney if necessary so that you do understand it, uh, but in most contracts that I've ever read, it states right there that the brokers are allowed to be dual agents, uh, that both parties understand and accept this, and if you don't, then that needs to be negotiated and, and changed. Mm -hmm. But the uh, maritime attorneys advised me that just like in real estate, you know, the seller can pay commissions and it's clear to everybody that uh, the buyer broker represents the buyer and the listing broker represents the seller. And Jill and I just sold our house 
and we paid a commission to two brokers in real estate, and it clearly stated in the contract that the uh, selling broker represented the buyer and the listing broker represented the seller and that, you know, those are their clients. And we accepted that knowing full well, you know, what, what we were dealing with. And we're yeah. in the middle of buying a new house and it's exactly the same thing. Right. So the question that came up in the thread was whether there was any change in fiduciary responsibility or whether the fiduciary responsibility for the broker, um, the buyer's broker was actually with the seller because the seller was paying the commission. So in, in your opinion, although you're not a, a lawyer, but in your opinion and from speaking to some maritime attorneys, that's that's not the correct. As long as you're checking that contract and making sure that the contract specifies that the buyer's broker is working for the buyer and not the seller, you don't think that should be a concern? That's correct. Okay, good. I'm happy to, to clarify that point. Um, we're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. So when we come back, we'll, we'll follow this topic a little bit more with how you make sure that the broker that you are engaging as a buyer is looking out for your best interest. So we'll be back in a moment. Northport Bay Boatyard is a complete marine service facility located on Grand Traverse Bay in Northport, Michigan. They feature over 85,000 square feet of heated storage, and they are offering loopers a 10% discount on heated storage, as well as a winter labor rate of $75. That's a $10 discount off their usual rate. For more information, visit www.npbby.com or call 231-386-5151. Northport Bay Boatyard is a proud commander sponsor of AGLCA. We're back on Great Loop Radio. We're talking today with Curtis Stokes of Curtis Stokes and Associates. We are covering the topic of engaging a buyer's broker and how that should work and um, what you can do to kind of make sure that the person you're engaging is the right broker and is acting on your behalf. So, um, Curtis, the question has come up before and it came up in the thread what do you do to ensure that your buyer's broker is negotiating in your best interest? Because if you are paid on commission, um, a less ethical broker might not negotiate the best deal for you because the higher the price you're paying as a buyer, the more commission they're going to earn. Now, that hasn't been my experience in the the several brokers that we have as sponsors would not act in that manner because they know that there's a reputation at stake there and uh, the loop is a pretty tight-knit group of boaters. Um, but talk a little bit about the ethics behind that. Is there a code of ethics for brokers, or does each individual broker decide uh, how they'll conduct themselves? There is a code of ethics based on associations that the broker might uh, belong to. So we belong to the Yacht Brokers Association of America. We belong to the Florida Yacht Brokers Association. We belong to the um, Pacific Northwest Yacht Brokers Association. Uh, there are others out there, and they all have their code of ethics. I find from my experience that the Yacht Brokers Association of America has the strongest uh, commitment to ethical behavior. Um, I have filed complaints against other brokers with uh, YABA, we call it, YBAA, and the FIBA, FYBA. And I found that uh, YABA was much more serious about enforcing it. Um, but that it's not something that they're going to lose a license over or, uh, and even with Yava, if someone uh, is found guilty of an ethical violation, uh, they get you know, 
two warnings and then there or a warning and then a suspension and then uh, revocation. Uh, so it does take a bit to weed out, you know, an unethical broker. Um, so you still, it, it still comes down to doing your due diligence, just like with hiring any contractor. You know, a broker is no different. Uh, you've got to uh, get a comfort level through referrals and through research and getting to know the person other than sitting in a bar and having a drink with them and getting along with them. And, and that may sound funny, but I see that type of relationship established quite often where it's a social setting and the two personalities get along and they think, well, let's hire this person to represent us. And that's all the due diligence they've done. So, you know, there has to be a relationship, yes, a rapport, but there has to be more due diligence done to hire a buyer broker too. What are some of those steps you would recommend for due diligence and making sure you've got the right buyer's broker? Well, simply Googling uh, the, you know, or searching online for complaints uh, and uh, asking around other boaters in the marina what their experience has been. You do that with electricians and plumbers and, and contractors of all types. Uh, so why not do it for brokers? Uh, the, the only caveat with that is I find with this whole internet, with you know, the new social media way of uh, recommending or recommending against people, uh, that you have to take it with a grain of salt and not just take one uh, pro or con against a broker or a surveyor or anybody else. Because I know we've had a couple of cases where um, one was someone you know, gave us a negative review and we kept looking for their name, couldn't find it. Well, it turns out they had the wrong broker and they badmouthed us when they had never done business with us. You know, and then there was another one where a guy had refused to hire as a broker, uh, got his girlfriend to uh, post a negative review against us online and we had never done business with her or, you know, and, and had not hired him. So it was retaliatory. Uh, but then there are others that are truly deserved or both, you know, positive and negative. And sometimes it comes down to personalities where it just wasn't a good fit. And so it wasn't where someone was unethical or um, just a, a bad buyer, bad broker, bad seller. It just, they weren't meant to do business together. So you've got to keep an open mind to all of that input uh, and make a final decision based on not just one source of information, but multiple, you know, and really think it through. Mm -hmm. One of the other things that came up is whether or not um, it makes sense for uh, one broker to represent both the buyer and the seller in a transaction. What are your thoughts on that? To me, the whole dual agency versus uh, buyer and listing broker uh, is, is, you know, everyone has strong opinion or a lot of people have strong opinions about it, but what it comes down to me is the honesty and integrity of the individuals involved and transparency and disclosure. Uh, I don't care how many brokers you have. You can have 10 brokers. If one or more of them are dishonest, it's not going to be a good experience. And again, I relate it to real estate. I've you know, had a couple of experiences buying and selling houses where I was horrified how the brokers behaved. And uh, we're going through something right now with a seller and a buyer, uh, or seller and a listing broker where there was a lack of disclosure. And you know, for those who are against dual agency, 
Uh, we had a listing broker, we had a, a buyer broker, we had a seller, and we were the buyer. And the seller didn't disclose code violations, and the listing broker didn't do it, even though the contract called them for it. Now we're arguing over it, uh, where we're spent, you know, looking at a huge amount of money to have to overcome this as the new owners of the house. So it happens in real estate. It happens in, in uh, yacht brokerage, you know, sales to sales. I have been in transactions where there are two brokers. Let's say I was the buyer's broker and there was a listing broker and we're negotiating, you know, an offer. And I've had the inexperienced or unethical listing broker call me and say, okay, the seller counters your offer at this amount, but I can tell you that if you get me this, I'm sure I can convince the seller to uh, agree to it and we'll have a deal. They were solely looking out for their own interest as the listing broker in collecting a commission and not representing the seller's best interest. Now, I, you know, I, I challenge anyone to tell me that that was better than one broker who is honest and ethical and transparent representing both parties and bringing them together and saying, okay, I am the one broker involved in this transaction. I'm not going to beat up the buyer, beat up the seller. You know, you two are adults. I'm bringing you together to negotiate this. And also, I think a buyer broker uh, or any broker should be giving sold comparable information to both parties so that they're looking at the same information. Uh, to me, you know, boat valuation should be based on what a similar boats have sold for in the past. So if everybody sees the same information, has access to the same information, and nothing is left off the table other than what a seller has instructed a broker not to disclose or a buyer has instructed a broker not to disclose, uh, then, you know, that's the way it should work, uh, that all parties should walk away happy from the transaction and not get hung up in the details of who represents who and, uh, you know, who got stung. Uh, it, it doesn't come down to that when you have ethical people involved. Mm -hmm. Good point. So to kind of sum up the discussion, um, because we've alluded to a lot of the, the pros to using a buyer's broker, but what are the pros and cons, if you can name any cons to using a buyer's broker, what are some of those pros and cons to, to engaging a true buyer's broker before you purchase a boat? I, I can't think of any cons other than if you hire the wrong buyer broker. Uh, if you hire the right buyer broker, it's all positive because that individual will not be sitting in their office asking for a courtesy showing from a listing broker. They will be with you to guide you through the process. I see that so often where someone has met a buyer broker and they hire them and the broker doesn't travel with them. They stay in the office and they collect half the commission for doing nothing. They're not contributing to the process whatsoever. Uh, so the right buyer broker uh, is is all positive for someone in acting as a true consultant in person and from afar uh, over time advising on the best surveyors, the best financing, the best insurance, the best documentation uh, company, all the whole and guiding people through the whole process uh, from A to Z. And uh, that, you know, is just critical when you're spending the kind of money that people are spending on these yachts and boats, uh, whether doing the loop or not. Yeah. Let, so let's talk about that process a little bit, because that certainly is kind of in addition to finding you 
the right boat. One of the probably biggest pros is guiding you through that process, as you've mentioned, Curtis. So, um, you know, tell us, because we, we've likened this to real estate a few times, but I think that's more in relation to the steps or the broker relationship, because there are some big differences in buying a yacht versus real estate. So talk a little bit about how a broker can guide you through that process and how that kind of differs, if, if even if you've bought a boat before, um, how this process can be different from previous experiences or especially from real estate purchases? Well, uh, the biggest difference is distance, uh, where most real estate transactions are conducted in a neighborhood or a town or city. Uh, boat brokerage and yacht brokerage is all over the country and mostly around the east half of the U.S. for the Great Loop. So a buyer in Chicago or Seattle could be looking at boats from Texas to Florida to Maine to you know, Tennessee, and there's more expense involved in travel and uh, trying to decipher what information is online in the magazines and brokers' websites, all of that. So it's, it's more important that the information is there and the guidance is there. Um, we sell you know, 20 to 30 boats a month. And we deal with a lot of surveyors, a lot of lenders, a lot of insurance companies. Uh, we're in and out of marinas and boat yards uh, dealing with, you know, all kinds of issues uh, through the process. So we tend to get to know who is getting a job done and who isn't, um, uh, who, you know, just is, is, uh, has good sources of information and product, you know, like lending and, and insurance. So, we uh, we get to know the industry more by you know how much business we do and there are others uh, not just us but there are others that you know are, are selling a lot of boats uh, that can help guide the uh, the buyer through the process from experience uh, so uh, that that's the biggest thing is the distance though and getting to know in the industry who's getting the job done for everyone and who isn't uh, and who has the best products. Right. And I think I've been involved with the Great Loop long enough at this point now that I've seen and heard of breakdowns at all of the different points in the process. And that's certainly not um, the norm. Typically, things go smoothly, but you don't want to be that unusual thing where there's a problem with the documentation or the financing or the surveyor or whatever it might be. So, um, you know, building on that experience that someone else has is certainly very useful in this process. So I think we have barely scratched the surface on a lot of this. I, I do want to say that because so many things that Curtis mentioned are things I've heard him speak at length about, and we could go off on any one of those tangents and spend another hour on each of them. Um, but I do think we've covered what I was hoping to today, which was to kind of clarify some of the things that were in the broker versus no broker thread in the forum. But Curtis, is there anything that I've left out that you think it's important that we touch on today? Yes. Um, if you want to learn more than just scratching the surface, you should attend the spring rendezvous so that you can hear my seminar on boat buying basics and, and enjoy the, uh, the, the AGLCA rendezvous. You didn't yep. put a plug in for your own rendezvous. <laughs> <laughs> Good point, Curtis, and thank you for sharing that. And yes, the spring rendezvous is coming up May 6th through 9th in Norfolk, Virginia. 
registration is open on the website. Um, for a lot of loopers that may not yet be ready for a rendezvous because it is a longer time commitment, we also do our looper lifestyle seminars a few times a year. Um, the next one is actually this weekend in Atlanta and it is sold out. So very shortly we will be opening registration for the next one which is in late June at Trentport Marina in Ontario, which we did one there last year. It's a great location. It was a great event. Curtis will be speaking longer than we have the time for today. Um, we'll be giving the full how to find your and buy your great loop boat presentation at that event as well. So Curtis, thank you for joining us today to kind of clarify some of these issues and thank you for your long-term and ongoing support of AGLCA. Thank you. It was a pleasure and uh, look forward to seeing everyone in Atlanta and then in Norfolk. Uh, yep. You too. To our listeners, thank you for joining us again this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. Mm-hmm.